Good afternoon and welcome. My name is Kayla Rosen and I am a Departmental Analyst in the Community Engagement and Finance Division at the Michigan Department of Treasury. I want to start by thanking you all for joining us for our eighth webinar in the COVID-19 Updates and Resources for Local Governments webinar series. Before we begin, I would like to go through a few details. The webinar has a chat feature. To open the chat, please click the chat button in the upper left corner. You can use this feature to ask questions during the webinar, but please only use this chat to ask questions so that way we're able to help with answering them. If you are hearing any beeps during the presentation, we recommend keeping the chat window open and that should stop those notifications. There may be a lot of questions today, so please wait until the presenter is done with their presentation before asking your question about that topic, as many of your questions will be answered in the material being covered today. We may not get to all of the questions that are being asked, but we will try our best to cover as many as possible. Additionally, we have held previous webinars over the last several months that have covered a diverse set of topics that are important to local governments. You can view these previous webinars and other resources by going to Treasury's COVID website. I'm about to post the link in the chat. Today's webinar will be recorded and emailed to all registrants within 24 hours, including a copy of the PowerPoint slides. In the chat, there is also a spot to download the PowerPoint presentation as well, and both items will be posted on the Michigan Department of Treasury's COVID-19 website. After today's presentation, you will be asked to get a survey. Please take the time to do so, for this feedback is really important to us as we continue to develop these webinars and make sure that we pick topics that are helpful for you. I would like to now introduce our MC for today, Heather Frick. Ms. Frick is the Director of the Bureau of Local Government and School Services at the Michigan Department of Treasury. I will now turn it over to her. Thank you, Kayla. Good afternoon and welcome to the COVID-19 Updates for Local Government webinar series. My name is Heather Frick and I'm the Director of the Bureau of Local Government and School Services with the Michigan Department of Treasury. We are pleased to be able to collaborate with the Michigan Municipal League, the Michigan Association of Counties, and the Michigan Townships Association to host our eighth joint webinar of this series. We understand that these are unprecedented times for local governments, which is why we wanna assist in providing as much information and resources for your use as possible. Included in today's presentation is an update on FEMA, the CARES program, and a fiscal year 2021 state budget update. It is my pleasure to introduce our first speaker, Penny Berger, from the Emergency Management and Homeland Security Division of the Michigan State Police. Penny will start us off by providing a FEMA public assistance update. I will hand it over to Penny at this time. Thank you, Heather. Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Um, as you know, we are still very much involved in the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Um, We'll go to, I really only have one slide with some information. We can move to that one now, please. Thank you. Um, right now, the FEMA grants portal, which is the disaster management grant program that is used at the federal government, there are currently 787 eligible applicants that have been approved to seek reimbursement in the FEMA grants portal. Um, just to give you a little context with that, that is more applicants for the COVID-19 pandemic than we've had in all federally declared disasters in Michigan over the past 10 years. 
Um, we recently had flooding over in the Midland County area, and there are 35 applicants for a $67 million flooding event. So um, just a little context there. This is a record number of applicants that we have. Uh, so far this year, we have had in the grants portal $675 million in costs related to COVID-19 submitted for FEMA to consider for reimbursement. Um, they have reviewed and approved 44 projects for $261.4 million. Right now, there are another 236 projects that are in various stages of development within the federal government. So maybe they're helping the applicant to get more information or it's almost awarded. So, but if you figure that that's only 35% of potential projects, if we considered um, if each applicant only had one project, and I know that they'll have more than that, um, this I expect could exceed $1 billion um, for Michigan for FEMA public assistance. Um, and we did have some additional FEMA guidance come out in September. There were a lot of questions about items for re-engaging in the economy, like plexiglass barriers, um, signage for egress and ingress. Um, so there was a little more information provided. Um, and just to let you know that a lot of those types of items, the plexiglass and other items that are needed to start opening your business again and serving the public, those are not going to be eligible for FEMA public assistance unless it's for a facility that's conducting emergency services. So maybe um, your fire stations or police or EMS. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. There is still no end date to this incident. It is ongoing. So we have been active in a federally declared disaster event since March. Um, so that means that there is no limit or there's no deadline at this time for submitting um, projects into the FEMA grants portal. So, um, and I did have, uh, I'm not sure if you wanted me to address these now, um, we had a couple of questions that came in before the webinar, and one of them was asking. Penny, if I may, we'll, yeah. um, we'll ask those questions at the end. Okay, perfect. Then I will wait until then. Um, if we wanted to go to the next slide, it's just our contact information for public assistance at the Michigan State Police. Uh, that is my information. Mr. Matt Schnapp is my state recovery manager and our state public assistance officer, Tiffany Vetter. Those are all of our cell numbers and you can get a hold of us at any time. I will stay on the call um, to answer any questions and I'll be monitoring the chat as well. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Now I'd like to introduce our next speaker from the Michigan Department of Treasury. Eric Bussis is the Chief Economist and Director of the Office of Revenue and Tax Analysis. Eric will be providing a CARES program update on the Coronavirus Relief Local Government Grants Program, First Responders Hazard Pay Premiums Program, and the Public Safety and Public Health Payroll Reimbursement Program. I will hand it over to Eric at this time. 
Thanks, Heather. Uh, this is Eric Bussis uh, with the Michigan Department of Treasury, Treasury. and uh, with me today, I also have uh, Eva Cole and Juanita Sarles. Um, they're going to be helping answer questions in the chat. So we're going to provide an update on the three CARES Act programs um, that Treasury is administering for local units of government. Uh, we're going to start out with the Public Safety Public Health Payroll Reimbursement Program. Um, so initial provisional payments of 50% uh, of the amount requested uh, with, with a cap of $5 million were issued to all applic eligible applicants on September 18th. Um, so since then, um, we've been working through a plan to review all of the uh, applications and be able to uh, issue a final payment. Um, you know, because of the amount that we've received uh, requests for, um, we're going to have to make uh, prorated payments. So we need to review all of those applications before we can start issuing those final reconciliation payments. Um, because of the, the amount of staff required to do this work, uh, we have onboarded uh, a team of uh, CPA firms that are going to help us with all three of these programs. Um, we've contracted with Guidehouse, Riemann, and Pierce Monroe. Um, they will be helping us review uh, the applications and also do some work related to federal subrecipient monitoring. Um, so we're going to utilize those staff for um, on the public safety, public health payroll reimbursement program uh, for the final reviews and also the subrecipient monitoring. Um, with the federal subrecipient monitoring, um, you know, since Treasury has not, uh, since the Michigan Department of Treasury has not previously passed on uh, federal revenue, uh, grant revenue to local units of government, this will be uh, the first time that we've gone through uh, some of this subrecipient monitoring with you. Um, we will be using our contract staff uh, to complete a risk-based analysis uh, for subrecipient monitoring um, and uh, additional documentation uh, will be requested from uh, many local units of government that applied for this program. Um, you know, just to make you aware that those requests will be coming and uh, they will be coming from a new email address, um, the Treasure Cares Audit. I know, you know, because of the three programs that we've had, um, you know, we've been, you know, answering phone calls and responding to emails from a variety of different uh, phone numbers and, you know, email inboxes. You know, people have at times been suspicious on whether or not this was a legitimate, um, you know, inquiry coming from the Department of Treasury. So just to make you aware, they will be coming from this email inbox. So. Um, and they may be requesting things like org charts or additional uh, documentation about the payroll that you requested reimbursement for. So we expect to issue the remaining payments in uh, mid-December. Um, from now until then, you will likely be contacted if you applied for this program um, and, you know, we will be requesting additional information, uh, again, based on that risk-based risk assessment. Um, 
you know, just for context, though, I, I want to remind people that these are going to be prorated. So we had applications for over 326 million and have 200 million in funding available. So if all of those uh, applications were eligible and, you know, we received, you know, legitimate ex expense requests for the 326 million, um, that would mean, you know, the proration percentage would be about 61%. So since we've already paid everybody 50, uh, the amount that you would receive in that final payment would be about 11%. So I know we've gotten some questions about, you know, when am I going to get the rest, you know, the other half of my request um, and just wanted to really enforce that, reinforce that, you know, if we have 326 million in legitimate claims, um, you know, what will you'll receive in mid-December will not be the other half. It will be a smaller prorated portion. Um, additionally, you know, based on some of the preliminary analysis, um, you know, some of the applications that we've received um, have included some people who will likely be ineligible um, and audits that may, may, the audits may result in uh, the need to claw back and return some of the previous payments. The next program I want to talk about is the First Responder Hazard Pay Premiums Program. So the uh, first award amount uh, went out in September. That was about $27 million. Um, we posted another $8 million in awards to our website on October 30th. Um, payments for that second round of awards will be issued by November 16th. Uh, you might begin to start seeing those Thursday or Friday, um, depending on your payment mechanism. Um, also, you know, under current statute, applicants were required to issue the payments to eligible first responders by October 31st. Um, with this program and the advances, um, we will be requiring some closing documentation. Um, I know on the advance form we alluded to that uh, and pushed out that deadline uh, now until uh, late November. Um, the documentation uh, will and the, the final report template will be available uh, at about that time, and we'll set a due date probably in December for getting that back to us. Since this program is also federally funded, we, we also need to do some federal subrecipient monitoring. Um, we're going to use the same uh, group of CPA firms to help us audit those. Um, the process there will begin in late November. Um, and again, we'll use a risk-based assessment based on you know, the number of people that were requested um, and you know, then look into to ensure how much was actually paid to these first responders and that they were they were eligible. The final program I want to talk about is the Coronavirus Relief Local Government Grant. Um, you'll probably remember this is the program that was created um, when the August revenue sharing, the August statutory revenue sharing payment was eliminated. Um, so most of you uh, completed the reporting in on-queue for this grant program. Um, that's reporting that 
uh, is going to be submitted to the federal government. So thank you for your work in getting that first quarterly reporting done. Um, the final quarter report, quarterly reporting um, is coming up quickly. Um, so the, the next uh, quarterly report is from September 1st to December 30th, and that's actually due December 31st. We understand um, that's very quick time <laughs> turnaround. Um, we apologize for that, but our deadline to get this data to the federal government is actually the following week. So um, we're going to have to then turn around all of your requests and reports on the your quarterly report for that last quarter uh, to the federal government uh, the week after New Year's. So we, we do need those um, by the 31st. Um, re uh, recipients who, you know, incurred all of the, the costs for their grant and filed uh, all of that information in the initial quarter do not need to do this final quarter. Um, for those of you that you know do need to file, OnQ um, will open on December 1st, and you know we encourage you to report early. Um, you know it's in all likelihood you're going to know before the holidays exactly what you're going to spend this money on. So you know, I would encourage you not to wait until you know between. Christmas and New Year's to start working on that reporting. Um, you know, you could probably get that done first week of December um, and, and make that, you know, a much easier process. Also, as, as you fill out those reports, um, I'd encourage you to, to make sure that you're being as accurate as possible with those expenses. Um, we've been told by the U.S. Treasury OIG or Office of Inspector General that they're going to be examining particularly closely category A and category R. Those are administrative expenses and uh, category R is items not listed above. Um, I know that you know we had some reports that came through and had everything in that category R. Um, that is going to be you know looked at by the federal government. So you know please you know look at those categories and try to um, classify them appropriately. Just in terms of upcoming deadlines, so for this program, the eligible expenditures need to be incurred by December 30th. Uh, we already mentioned the final quarterly report is due December 31st. Um, we're going to have an amended quarterly return reporting that's due January 19th, and then a closing certification that's also due January 19th. I would encourage you, um, if you're done with the grant program and have all of that uh, completed, uh, to go ahead and you know issue, uh, close out the grant and send back that closing uh, certification. It's in the initial grant award packet, and you can uh, turn that turn that around. And then finally, um, we're also, you know, since this is again federal money, the same process will um, need to occur on the federal subrecipient monitoring. Um, but since you guys have until December 30th to spend that money, um, it's going to be a little later in the process that we'll need to complete that. And with that, uh, our contact information, um, the Treasure Cares email inbox is a good place to start. Um, 
for specifically questions about on-queue reporting, um, the Treasure Cares reporting at michigan.gov, um, and then our website has a lot of this information as well. So with that, I will turn it back to Heather. Thank you for those updates, Eric. Next, I would like to introduce Kyle Jen. Kyle is the Chief Deputy Director for the Michigan State Budget Office. He is going to provide us with an update on the FY21 state budget. I will turn it over to Kyle at this time. All right. Good afternoon. Um, it's it's good to be with you all uh, and provide you an update here on where things stand with the state budget. Um, I do want to talk about first uh, what the what the the state budget that's now in place for the fiscal year that began October 1st looks like. How that affects all of you and then give you our best assessment uh, of what the outlook is for fiscal year 2022 starting next October. Um, and as I'll highlight, um, and as you're all uh, quite well aware, I'm sure, uh, you know, still a high level of uncertainty as we look out uh, over the next 23 months. So in terms of the budget uh, that was signed uh, at the end of September by the governor, um for fy21 i thought it would be useful to kind of walk back through the last nine months um from a state budget perspective obviously a lot has happened uh in a pretty short period of time in february the original executive recommendation for fiscal year 21 was presented to the legislature that was obviously prior to to the covid crisis um becoming fully known. Uh, that occurred in March. Uh, the governor e e e immediately issued executive directives regarding state hiring and spending freezes and Congress passed the CARES Act, um, uh, including the $3.1 billion in total coronavirus relief funds allocated to the state of Michigan, uh, a portion of which obviously uh, is being distributed out to all of you. In May, we had the official consensus revenue estimating conference that uh, that estimated the reductions in state revenues from the January estimates as a result of COVID and the impact on the economy. Using those estimates, we negotiated uh, adjustments to the FY 2020 state budget to bring the budget back into balance. So that included executive order reductions State Department budgets, as well as a withdrawal from the rainy day fund, use of some other one-time funding lapses and transfers, um, offsetting state public safety payroll with federal CRF dollars, um, and then as you're aware, the reductions that occurred in state funding to local government, schools, colleges, and universities with corresponding allocations of federal CRF dollars out to those same groups. Uh, in August, then, there was a special consensus revenue estimating conference held. Um, that, that conference revised those, those estimates on revenues from May substantially upwards, uh, in large part to um, the fact that the federal stimulus fund had had a larger impact on the economy and, and holding state revenues closer to 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 our original estimates than had been expected. Uh, that set up uh, additional negotiations with the legislature on a balanced FY 2021 budget 
um, which uh, involve much more modest adjustments, positive and negative, because of those upward revisions. So just to give this to you, you know, visually, uh, this is a chart that shows the May and August revenue estimates combined for the state general fund and school aid fund as it compares to the estimates from January prior to COVID. So the teal bars show the May estimates, um, which initially projected a loss for FY20 uh, of $3.2 billion um, with a similar loss projected for FY21. Uh, as we got to August and the state's economists uh, saw updated economic and revenue info, that loss in 20 got revised down substantially, so about $900 million um, within a smaller revision for 21, so still down about $2.5 So the short story is that we had balanced the FY20 budget based on that $3.2 billion projected loss when it turned out to be only about 900 million, that gave us over $2 billion in funds to carry forward and largely offset the $2.5 billion projected revenue loss for 21. Um, and didn't require you know, large reductions in the budget at that point. So as we go forward to FY22, um, you know, it is important to recognize we're still looking at a projected loss of revenue of about $1.7 billion compared to what would have been projected prior to the COVID situation. This slide here gives you an overview of the total state budget for fiscal year 2021. So the budget totals $62.8 billion uh, from all fund sources. You can see the, the large majority of that is federal funds and other restricted funds. The general fund budget is about 10.6 billion, which is about 17% of the total. In terms of the portion going directly to local governments through the state's revenue sharing programs, we're at a total of about $1.3 billion, uh, which you can see is the dark blue slice at about 2% of the total. Constitutional revenue sharing, which as you're aware is constitutionally earmarked uh, based on the actual level of, of sales tax collections by the state is estimated to be about $852 million. And then statutory revenue sharing split between cities, villages, townships, and counties. Uh, totals $490 million. That's the portion, you know, where there's more discretion for the governor and legislature to determine the funding level from year to year. Um, and is and is really directly tied in with the general fund budget in terms of maintaining balance at the state level. In terms of the state's general fund budget of about $10.6 billion, this chart shows you the major categories, um, our health and human services programs, including the state's Medicaid program, uh, other healthcare programs, um, child welfare programs, uh, is a little under half of that total. The budgets for the Departments of Corrections and State Police in that public safety category are another 21%. 12% 12% is provided as support out to the 15 public universities in the state. And then about 3% of the total goes for debt service costs. So that last slice of the dark gray at about 16%, which is about 1.7 billion, 
That slice um, funds 12 state departments as well as the budgets for the legislature and the, the judicial branches. So it gives you a sense of, of where those dollars get allocated out um, largely to, that, to, to outside entities, including healthcare providers and public universities. All right, the slide that's of most uh, direct interest uh, to this group, I'm sure, is where things stand for FY 2021 revenue sharing payments. On the, on the constitutional side, uh, you know, obviously those numbers bounce um, depending on what happens with sales tax revenues. The current estimates uh, out of the August revenue estimating conference project that those payments would be roughly flat going from what you actually received in FY20 to what you'll receive in FY21. Obviously, uh, a lot of uncertainty out there that we'll talk more about, and, and those sales tax estimates can change as we go along here, but that's the, the current best estimate. On the statutory side, um, the short version is that FY2021 statutory revenue sharing payments are all maintained at the original level uh, from FY 2020 before adjustments were made. So the reductions that happened to your, your payments um, in terms of holding back state funding in the August payment and instead providing um, a corresponding allocation of federal CRF funds, those are all considered one time. You can see in the table there, you know, we started FY 20 at that 490 million total ended up removing the $97 million in state funds, um, adding in the $150 million of federal funds. Um, and now as we enter 21, we are back at that 490 total, all funded from state funds. Um, and all of our federal CRF funds have now been, have now been allocated for specific funds. So, or for, for specific purposes rather. So, no additional allocations in 21 to local governments. All right, as we head into FY22, uh, we've got the whiteboard background here to indicate, uh, you know, the amount of uncertainty. And uh, just like you, um, we are entering our stage uh, to do our best planning around this. Uh, we've started working on, um, on the initial aspects of our FY22 budget process as we move toward the release of the governor's executive recommendation uh, in early February. Um, just a little bit here in terms of the economic context, uh, this chart uh, is actually Eric's chart, uh, so I'll give him credit. Um, this shows you a 10-year history on, on payroll employment for the country as a whole. You can see growth of about 22 million jobs from 2010 to early 2020. Uh, we lost an, an amount of jobs equivalent to that 10 years of growth um, earlier in the year uh, as COVID hit. Um, over the last six months then, we've recovered about 11 million of those jobs. So we're about halfway back, uh, you know, which has helped stabilize state revenues, uh, but we're certainly not all the way back. And then looking more specifically at Michigan, this chart shows job losses from February to April on the left across the major sectors of the Michigan economy. Uh, on the right-hand side then, you see 
what's been gained back between April and September. So in total, we lost about a million jobs uh, in February, March, and April. Uh, we've gained back about 600,000. We're still down about about 400,000 uh, jobs. And as you, as you can see, you know, those have been broad-based losses uh, across all of the sectors of the economy. Just uh, a list of all the uncertainties out there. I mean, the good news obviously is that we have a balanced FY 2021 in place, um, you know, based on the best revenue estimates uh, available to us. Uh, the bad news is, you know, there's just still a very high level of uncertainty out there. Um, you know, obviously what's happening with COVID cases and the response and when a vaccine is, a, is, is, is broadly available is going to affect the course of the national state economies, which is going to um, affect the course of state revenues uh, over the next year to two years. Um, you know, huge question in terms of what happens uh, with additional federal stimulus. Um, in terms of the the direct impact that could have on the state budget with flexible aid to, to, to states and local units of government, as well as the indirect impact uh, that would have as those dollars would flow out into the economy um, and a portion would be collected through state revenues. Timing is very much a question. I don't think you know anything that's happened over the last week since the election has necessarily given us more clarity on when and what size and what the components of uh, of a stimulus package will be, you know, either in these last two months of this this congressional session or or the session that begins in January when the new president and Congress are in place. Um, also a high level of uncertainty in terms of what happens with m Medicaid caseloads and costs at the state level. To date, you know, our higher caseload costs have been roughly offset by the fact that we're receiving an enhanced higher match rate from the federal government on the Medicaid program. It remains to be seen how long that match continues um, and how long those higher caseloads could continue given that, um, you know, there's been a much harder impact uh, in terms of job losses for lower wage workers. And then just as you're aware, you know, uh, it's been seven months since the pandemic began in March. I guess that's really eight months now, um, whereas we're looking at a 23-month planning horizon. So we just uh, continue, ex continue to expect that the situation economically uh, is going to evolve and we need to be in the best position to react to that. In terms of some of the specific budget pressures we're looking at as we start building the FY22 state budget, we do have a negotiated pay increase for state employees in place uh, for next October at 2% with an, with an additional 1% the following April. Right now we're carrying a rough estimate of $75 million general fund uh, for that increase and other compensation-related costs. Um, we have continuing cost increases related to the statutorily required grants to improve local indigent defense systems. A new standard was just approved there. We're looking at an increase of about $25 million for FY22. 
there's some other, you know, good bipartisan criminal justice reforms that have been enacted over the last year or so with Raise the Age and Clean Slate. Um, we are working through, you know, the costs and how to fund implementation of those reforms. As you may have read, uh, there is a pending legal settlement um, for the residents of the city of Flint relative to the drinking water situation. Um, more details on that and how it will be uh, paid for uh, are forthcoming as it gets finalized. And then lastly, you know, as I mentioned, uh, we're projecting growth in state level Medicaid costs um, with with short term savings from the enhanced match rate longer term that becomes a GF cost to the state when that enhanced match rate ends. And then finally, you know, really in the shorter term, um, I'm sure you're all looking at this too in terms of what our costs for COVID response are after December 30th when we can no longer spend CRF funds uh, that hinges, you know, uh, in large part in terms of what the federal government does. But absent that, um, we'd have to look at how to identify state funds uh, for those response costs that will continue. In terms of a high-level outlook, you know, this is very early in our process, but we're looking at a combined shortfall for the general fund and school aid fund uh, of about half a billion to a billion dollars in magnitude. That does assume uh, higher collections of over $300 million we're seeing to close out fiscal year 2020, but we are not yet making that increase um, into future years. Um, as Eric and his team look at, uh, at whether those revenues are truly ongoing. You know, uh, these numbers are going to continue to bounce through February. Uh, we are continuing to take a very cautious approach. The state departments are being instructed to prepare re re reduction plans for potential inclusion in the FY22 executive recommendation, and the state is maintaining the current freezes on discretionary spending and hiring. You know, in terms of upside potential here, you know, the key question remains federal stimulus, as I talked about, in terms of the impact that could have on our revenue estimates, as well as any direct flexible aid uh, that could be used by the state on a one-for-one -one basis to avoid further budget reductions. Um, we do have a balance of roughly $900 million still in our rainy day fund, um, along with an agreement that any lapses from fiscal year 2020 general fund appropriations will also be deposited into the fund. Um, you know, we, we view this as a tool to help us manage back towards structural balance over the next several years, as well as to deal with any other volatility and budget risks that might be out there. Here you can see that in chart form. Uh, in 19, you can see, you know, we got close to $1.2 billion, which would have been, you know, at the peak level back to fiscal year 2000, made a withdrawal of $350 million. Um, that'll balance the FY20 budget and then our building back um, with some smaller deposits plus those lapses, leaving us uh, at this moment at about $900 million for fiscal year 2021. So lastly, uh, 
this is our, our flow chart on what a normal state budget process looks like, you know, starting with the next revenue estimating conference in January and that shaded box at the top, the release of the governor's budget in February, um, and then the legislative deliberations on the budget following that. Um, you know, these are our ideal dates to hit and get a budget done early. Certainly, uh, this past year uh, was not a normal year. Um, um, you know, I certainly would uh, expect and hope we will not be enacting the FY22 budget on September 30th the way we had to this year. Um, but, you know, there will still be a high level of uncertainty uh, as we go through this, and both we and the legislature will need to adjust with that and, and get a final budget negotiated, uh, hopefully fairly early in the summer. So with that, uh, I'll stop talking and turn things back over to Heather. Thank you, Kyle, for the state budget update. We will now start the question and answer portion of the webinar with some questions that you have submitted to your associations when reg registering for this event. To start the question, Judy Allen, Director of Government Relations for the Michigan Townships Association, will ask the first two questions. I will turn it over to Judy at this time. Thank you, Heather, and thank you to Treasury and all the presenters today for um, presenting this uh, eighth, I believe it's the eighth uh, webinar on COVID that has proved to be very beneficial in providing answers and information to all of our members. Um, my questions really are going to be, I think, directed at Eric or Eva or whoever else uh, might be able to answer them. The first question is regarding the public safety, public health payroll. I know, Eric, you mentioned that the, there were more applications in totality than there were funds appropriated, and that 50% of the funds of the $200 million have been allocated to applicants. Uh, just checking to see, you know, if, which I believe you did say there would be a second distribution, um, but when local units might expect those payments. Yeah, thanks, Judy. Uh, good question. So um, short answer is mid-December. So we're not going to make those final payments until we're done um, with both of the program reviews and the federal uh, subrecipient monitoring. Um, so once we complete that, we'll be making those. Uh, we're aiming to have that in uh, mid-December. And just to clarify, um, what we issued payment on uh, was 50% of the the 320 some million, uh, not 50% of the 200 million. So uh, the the majority of that 200 million is is already out um, in payments to locals. Okay, thank thank you for clarifying that. And the second question has more to do with the reporting uh, for both the first responder hazard pay premiums program as well as the public safety and public health payroll reimbursement program. Just checking um, in terms of when the next reporting deadlines are, you covered some of those uh, briefly in the presentation today, but also the forms. I know we've had several members contact us asking us, where's the form, when's it due? And I will say, state that the emails that Treasury does put out with the deadlines and availability of forms, that has been very, very helpful. So. Hopefully, when the next go-around uh, time comes, that that can be incorporated as well. 
Yeah, thanks, Judy. Um, and, and kudos to Rod's group for uh, organizing those uh, emails that, that come out. Um, in terms of the forms, um, the first responder hazard pay premiums program forms, uh, we'll release those um, in late November. Um, we don't have the due date on those yet because we're we are still working on that form, um, but that will come out in the, the email gov deliveries um, when we have that with the form. Um, for the public safety, public health payroll reimbursement program, um, there's not a, a closeout report uh, in the way that there is with the other two grant programs, but we will be requesting uh, further documentation from most um, applicants directly um, to close out the, the auditing on that uh, program. So there won't necessarily be a form there, but they will be receiving emails um, from um, that new audit email address uh, from some of the contractor CPA firms that we're bringing on board. Okay, thank you. So if, I've, if I'm a local unit and I've got the public health, public safety reimbursement program funds, uh, it's not going to be a report. Your treasurer is reaching out via email is what I just heard you say. Correct. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Heather, I'll give it back to you. Thank you, Eric and Judy. Dina Bosworth will be asking the next two questions. Dina is the Director of Government Relations from the Michigan Association of Counties. Dina. Thank you, Heather, and thank you everyone for presenting today. I know that our um, members find it most useful. Um, and Judy, those were excellent questions, and I had those posed to me too earlier this week, so that's great that you got that cleared up. Um, the questions that I have are about FEMA grants. So Penny, I think this is you. First one is for FEMA grants, what happens after quarterly reports are submitted to state police and then the docs are uploaded to the FEMA grant portal? Um, and then additionally, when should municipalities expect reimbursements to be distributed? Okay, sorry, having some You there, Penny? Are you able to hear me this time? Yep. Yeah. We lost you again, Penny. Heather, if you may, why don't we move? I think you're cutting in and out, Penny. Why don't we move to, uh, Heather, why don't we move to Chris and then we can come back to uh, Penny with those questions here at the end, uh, see if she has an opportunity to get that uh, fixed. Uh, Chris Hasbarth is the Director of State and Federal Affairs for the Michigan Municipal League, and he's going to ask any final questions from today's webinar that you may have posed in the chat bar. Chris? Sure, thank you. And Dina, I'm not sure if you had any other questions left, but uh, feel free to jump in and, and uh, talk over me. You do it normally anyway, so that's okay. <laughs> um, just a question, and I know Penny's having some issues, but Penny, if you get a chance, uh, I know we've had some questions come in through the chat, uh, if you could have a chance even to respond in the chat box. Uh, with regard to 
eligible items within the FEMA program or, or items that might not be eligible for reimbursement under FEMA. Uh, just clarify that uh, that that does not necessarily make uh, those those expenses ineligible for reimbursement under another federal program. Uh, and maybe Eric, maybe you can answer that since uh, since we don't have access to Penny, but. But if something is ineligible under FEMA reimbursement, is it possible it is eligible under one of the CARES programs? Um, I think it's certainly possible that that would be eligible under one of the CARES Act programs. Um, specifically, um, the one that has the most flexibility would, uh, for local governments um, is the CRLGG. Um, you know the the restrictions on those under the CARE Act, um, you know, could be used for um, any other uh, eligible payroll expenditures. Um, I know the, on the FEMA side, there's um, more flexibility to do uh, capital improvements and, uh, you know, longer-term emergency management. Um, but under the CARES Act, you know, you could certainly use that money uh, to you know, do a number of things required to uh, remediate COVID, whether that's PPE or, you know, salaries of your public safety, public health uh, officials. So, I don't know if that, I'm, I'll apologize, I'm not an expert on the FEMA side, so. No, that's okay. I know I one of the early, all that. I think one of the early um, slides from Penny showed, you know, some of the concern that recently came out about uh, like plexiglass and other reopening um, infrastructure items not being eligible under FEMA and potentially those uh, could be eligible under CRLGG, correct? Yes, potentially, depending on the, the type of capital asset and, and what was involved. Great. And uh, Chris, it sounds like we have Penny back, so oh, I'm not sure if we want to jump back to Dina and those questions there. Yeah, sure. Do we have, do we have Penny back, though? Penny available? Yeah, are you able to hear me now? I can. Okay, great. Yeah, so that yeah. first question was, what happens after they submit their, their quarterly reports and upload their documents to the portal? And then, you know, when should they expect some uh, reimbursements to be distributed? Okay, as far as the quarterly reports, the only um, applicants that are required to submit a quarterly report to MSP are those that have large projects that are open. Um, and a large project is anything that's greater than $131,100. So those are the only ones where we expect to get quarterly reports. And that allows us to take a look at that and see if there's any deadlines that are coming up that we need to address and see um, how things are progressing and if we need to get any extensions in place for that. Um, it is a long process once an applicant uploads documents and completes the paperwork for a project. Um, so what happens is the documentation is submitted through the grants portal and there's a lot of questions that go along with completing the paperwork to submit a project. Um, then it goes to FEMA and they will do some review. And there was a question up here, it's the CRC, which is FEMA's Consolidated Resource Center. So they are a pool of technical experts that will do the deep dive into reviewing all of the paperwork line by line, helping to further develop the project. They'll be reaching back with any questions. 
once they have reviewed everything and have determined everything is eligible, answered any questions, then they can award the funding, make the recommendation for an award. Once FEMA has awarded funding for a project, once all the paperwork has been reviewed, the applicants will get notice that FEMA has approved that, and we will get that as well at MSP. It's at that point that our public assistance officer and our deputy, they will, they will complete a grant agreement package. Um, every single project that goes into the FEMA grants portal is treated like its own grant. Um, so there has to be a grant agreement to go along with every single project. So that package um, has to be completed. It'll have um, suspension and debarment and lobbying forms and all of that. A lot of the standard grant agreement information that will go to you once you've been um, awarded. Once you receive the grant agreement package, review it, sign it and return it to MSP. That's when we can start working with you on reimbursement. Um, for reimbursement, we would need any of your supporting documentation to support the expenditures that have been approved. Um, so that would be uh, paid invoices, a proof of payment documentation if it's for any eligible overtime um, and such. And our finance and program staff could work with everybody on that as well. And once all of the documentation is submitted to support the reimbursement request, then a check can be processed, the payment can be processed at that point. Um, and all of that is detailed in the grant agreement packages. The biggest hurdle right now is getting FEMA approval on these projects. We're seeing a lot of that moving quicker now. Um, there was some guidance that was issued, some updates in mid-September, and a lot of things were kind of in a holding pattern until that came out. And now that that has been issued, we're seeing things move much quicker. So they're working on it. So simple process. No oh, problem. yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I guess, you know, it really just depends on when each individual project. So the, it just doesn't sound like there's a, usually it's within six months or within three months or a year. There's not, you can't really give that. What once, yeah, um, once you receive the award, it can go pretty quick because a lot of these things are already paid for and all of the documentation is there. It's just a matter of once FEMA does the approval, then we can move quicker on our end, um, getting the paperwork through and getting the um, reimbursement made. I would like to say within six months of getting an award, we should be closing that out. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Thank you for that direction. Okay, so um, the next question is, what is the deadline for submitting for FEMA funding? And, you know, is there any other potential funding sources for local governments that you know of? Uh, well, right now, there is no FEMA deadline at this point in time, because the incident period is still ongoing. Uh, it's once they, the federal government, FEMA, once they put an incident end date, like with a flooding, it's easy. It's usually a week later or something. Um, with this, we're eight months into the pandemic and we still don't have an incident period. But I'm sure everybody's been watching the news and you're seeing cases continue to rise. So I don't see that coming anytime soon. Once they do have an incident period end date for the pandemic, then everybody will have 60 days 
from that point to get their documentation in for submitting projects. Um, but we can always get an extension on that as well if there's circumstances that warrant that. And as far as additional funding for local governments, not on the FEMA side. We don't really have much. Great, thank you, Penny. Yep. Um, that concludes my questions, Heather, so I will turn it back to you. Thank you, Dina. Chris, do you have one final question from the chat bar that we could address, uh, today's panelists can address? Sure, and Eric, this is for you and, and Eva and your team. Just as we're looking at um, the the public safety payroll funding and the uh, the hazard pay premium funding and the CRLGG funding, uh, outside of any state-specific requirements like public safety and public health payroll is obviously only for public safety, public health payroll, but those funds are essentially interchangeable uh, in terms of if, if a community didn't get fully funded under one or if they had other hazard pay expenses that weren't necessarily first responder has, hazard pay expenses, those expenses could potentially be utilized under CRL, CRLGG, correct? Yes, that's correct. So, um, you know, if they have other payroll costs that, you know, let's say I know we only did w the round one of the public safety, public health, if, if a unit of government was prepared to apply for that second round and has eligible payroll expenses um, under the CARES Act, um, they could um, use that money um, or those expenditures to leverage the CRLGG funding. And does within CRLGG uh, kind of overall, has the department put together any guidance or any documentation that can help communities determine what, what might constitute an eligible expense based upon whatever federal guidance you've got and state uses? Yeah, the state hasn't um, simply because uh, that needs to be uh, the responsibility of the local unit receiving the funding um, and because we're also in charge of, of auditing that. Um, as well as the kind of ever-evolving federal guidelines. Uh, I think the best place to look is uh, on the guidance on the U.S. Treasury website for the CRF funding. Um, there's a non-exclusive list, uh, about two pages long, of uh, good examples um, that, for things that would be eligible, and we can, we can post that link in the chat, too. That's probably the best place to look. Great. That would be that would be very helpful. Heather, I know we're up against three o'clock, so um, other questions will certainly work uh, work with your folks. Uh, Dean and Judy and I will work with work with your staff and and budget office staff and MSP staff for any answers that we weren't able to get to right now. Thank you, everyone. We have reached the end of today's webinar. We want to thank all of our speakers and partners the Michigan Municipal League, the Michigan Townships Association, the Michigan Association of Counties for participating in today's presentation. The PowerPoint presentation and recording from today's webinar will be available on Treasury's COVID-19 updates for local government and school districts webpage by tomorrow. Finally, we encourage attendees to participate in the survey following today's presentation. The survey is used to generate ideas for future webinars and ensure we are discussing topics important to you. On behalf of our presenters and partners, we want to thank you for joining us today at the, this webinar. This concludes today's webinar presentation. Have a wonderful day and stay safe.
This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mml.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.